So Joshua chapter 7, you there in your Bibles? Let's pray. Let's come to God's word. Lord, we just thank you again for the opportunity uh, to be together. Lord, what a great blessing it is and an encouragement to one another, even space like this, even not all of us here, but a portion of the body. And Lord, we thank you that uh, we've come to gather to worship you, to glorify your name, to draw near to you, Jesus. We thank you that, um, Lord, you've given us your word as uh, a, a guide for our lives, Lord, to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, we just thank you for the book of Joshua, the things that we've been learning. Lord, we, we pray this morning as we spend time here that the written word would lead us to the living word, King Jesus. And uh, so Lord, would you pour out your spirit on hearts and lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. So Joshua chapter 7, well, um, this morning we're back in this series, kind of skipped away from that last week while we were getting ready to come back together. And as you come to Joshua chapter 7, I don't know if you've been reading ahead, but uh, this is one of the more, it's a, well, here, it's a very different scene from the one that we left off when we were last in Joshua. I mean, this is a pretty brutal chapter. And I would say this, up to this point, um, Israel has begun to take possession of the land. They've crossed over the Jordan River. They've set up their camp at Gilgal. Everything's gone pretty smooth for the most part. And, um, you know, the commander of the Lord's army had led them in a battle against uh, the nation, uh, the city of Jericho. It had resulted in a historic victory. There really was no battle. They just marched around the city and then the walls came down and the enemy of the Lord was defeated. And so, Joshua chapter 6 actually ends, if you were to look there in your Bible, just at verse 27, I'm not going to read it, but it actually tells you that, that this made Joshua famous, that his fame was in all the land and everyone knew that the Lord was with him. But chapter 7 starts with a very ominous word because it starts with the word but, but. In other words, while all this was going on, while Joshua was being made famous and the reality that the Lord was with him was being proven, something else was happening behind the scenes. And we're going to see in this chapter just a string of failures with regards to some of the instructions that the Lord had given him and where things went sideways. And so, uh, yeah, let's check it out by reading verse 1 here. It says this, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So even before we find out like the details of this story and everything that's gone on, we kind of get this little bit of history of what's happened behind the scenes. The truth has told us, and it says this, that faith was broken which is an interesting picture to me to say that faith was broken. We, we often, we like say, oh, I don't have faith for this or, you know, if we have enough faith or I don't, I don't know. We treat, we don't treat faith as something that gets broken very often. But it says here that it was broken and it was broken with regards to devoted things. See, God's command with the city of Jericho was that the first fruits of victory in in the promised land belonged to him. Jericho was going to be the first of many victories for God's people and God's children, the nation of Israel. And all of these victories were going to be for the Lord's glory and for his people. So he told them, 
At this first one in Jericho, everything belongs to me. It's all devoted to me. And we read here that Israel broke faith, and it was one individual, his name Achan. His name means trouble. What a terrible name, eh? Could you imagine naming your child Achan? Sometimes we call our kids this, but uh, we would never name our child this. And he was named Achan, one man, one man who took of the devoted things, but the crime, which is interesting, the crime is assessed against the whole nation of Israel, the whole people of Israel, and, and really sin was in the camp. Now it's amazing because this battle that we're about to read um, is the only battle that the children of Israel lost in the taking of the promised land. So all throughout Joshua, this is the only time that we're going to read about them losing. It's the only time that they lost. And what's interesting is this, is that defeat came not from without, defeat came from within. And I just thought it was amazing how from my own heart, the Lord tied this together from where we went with church Sunday last week when I went away from the book of Joshua and just shared some things about the danger that is without and the danger that is within because I felt like the Lord was saying, warn the church about the danger within pride or fear. And what's interesting here is that we see this, that, that there was sin in this camp and the defeat came not from the enemy on the outside, but from the enemy on the inside. Because there are dangers on, on the outside and dangers within. And one man committed sin, but who suffered? The whole nation suffered. That's amazing. Crazy to think about that, that the whole nation faced the consequence and it's just interesting like, to think about that as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as being part of a body, part of a church. To think that, you know, often as Christians, we think on such an individual level, we just think about ourselves. Think about ourselves. But God's placed us into a family. He's placed us into a body. And the truth is, if, you know, isn't it brutal what's going on in the States? Man, it is brutal. It is brutal. And and thinking about that, observing what's happened, it's like if you went into a store and you looted something with your hands, you took. It's not your hands that are going to go to jail. It's your whole body that's going to jail. All of you. Should you get caught. But apparently you can just do that for free these days. I don't know. See what happens down there. But We want to be praying for them. See, when one person sins... The whole nation suffered, and it's interesting to just think about this as the church, you guys. When one person sins, the whole body suffers. The whole body. Achan stole, but who was the anger of the Lord against? The anger of God burned against the people of Israel. So let's read what happens. Verse 2, it says this. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said, do not have all of the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, and they fled before the men, of, the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 
Now, one of the things that we've seen just with regards to the book of Joshua as we've been going through this, that this is a great picture of, the, of Christians entering into the life of promise, that the children of Israel entering into their inheritance in the Lord, the promised land. But it's a, it's a great picture of, of us entering into the life of promise. And it's cool to know this, that God's heart for his children was this, is that their victories, that there would be only victory for them. That's God's heart for his children. That, that, his, that the children of Israel would have unbroken victory in taking the land of Canaan. And, and I think that that's God's heart for you and for me too. That we would always live victoriously. Don't you think that about the Lord? That's got to be his heart for us. That we would always walk in victory. In Canaan, you know, you read this and it's like defeat could occur, but it didn't have to. It didn't have to happen. And I think it's the same, the same is true for us in the life of promise. Defeat can happen, but we have to believe that that's not God's heart. God's heart's always victory. A life of victory over sin is his purpose for his children. And one of the things that we've seen in Joshua this far as we've been going through this verse by verse and chapter by chapter, that, that entering into the life of promise, crossing from the wilderness into the life of promise is not a life that is going to be free from conflict. If you are going to enter into promised land living, you are going to face battles and you're going to uh, face enemies. And the Christian, the Bible tells us as followers of Jesus, we have three enemies that we face and we deal with all the time. You know what they are? The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? So the Bible tells us. Now I think about this because defeat doesn't have to happen, but if it does happen, if it happens, you want to know, well, why did the defeat happen? What went wrong? Like any general, any commander is going to figure that out. Like what happened in this battle that defeat was the end? And so this is a great chapter, you guys, for understanding the reasons for losing battles. And here's what I'm going to tell you the battle is. What's the battle? The battle in this chapter is a battle within. And the battle that you and I face so often is the battle against the flesh, defeating the flesh, fighting against the flesh. And this story illustrates that. And it tells us that in this defeat, as men died, that the hearts of the people melted and they became as water. That's really tragic. Because what had happened prior to this is that the inhabitants of the land, it was their hearts that were melting for fear of God's people. They saw what God was doing for his people and they're like, we're toast. The men and women of Jericho, the men and women of all these cities, they were terrified at what God was doing in the midst of his people. But when God's people were defeated, it's amazing, their hearts become like the inhabitants of the land because of the enemy within. Their hearts melted and became as water. You know, in the story of Jericho, if we were to go back to the story of the victory in Jericho, in Jericho we see some of the secrets of success. This is how you are victorious over the enemy. And in this story, we see the decisions and the actions that led to stirring up God's anger and his people being defeated. And so, just like the story of Jericho is really necessary because we can see, hey, here's the secrets to success. This is how success happens for God's people. This story in chapter seven is really necessary because it's like, oh, and here's how defeat happens. Here are the key things to, def to, 
defeat. And I would say one story is as necessary as the other. But this morning, as we look at this text, what I want to look at is what were the reasons the children of, peop- the children of God were defeated? What were they? And I'm going to tell you the first one right off the hop. The first one was this, self-confidence. Self-confidence. That was the first reason for their defeat. Ai was only a small city, a small city in comparison to Jericho. And it seemed that it was unnecessary to send the whole army. Why would we send the whole army? I mean, it's a tiny little city compared to what we just faced. So Joshua does this. He sends out spies. They come back and they're like, yeah, two or 3,000. That's all we need. We could take this enemy. Because they were self-confident. See, they quickly forgot who brought the victory over Jericho. They quickly forgot that all they had done was march. All they did was walk, man. All they did was follow the commander of the Lord's army and give the shout and blow the trumpet at the proper time. It was not the strength of God's people that had led them to victory over Jericho. It was the power of the Lord. And to suggest that they could now take another smaller city, a city smaller than Jericho, was a mistake of self-confidence. And such an attitude is like disastrous for you and I when self-confidence slides in there. It's only as we continue to sense weakness. So we sense our weakness that we uh, seek strength from above. And this is the warning of this text. To take note and to remember that we have to fight against self-confidence, especially when we have tasted of success. It's one of the things that's jumped out to me throughout this series of Joshua that self-reliance is not a fruit of the Spirit. And we're really susceptible when we're actually tasting of success. In fact, there's probably no more dangerous time for a follower of Jesus is when they're having victory. Because at such times, you like you, your heart swells. You begin to get a little pride going on. You begin to think a little more highly of yourself than you ought to. And you can think that since you had a victory with God, that God has now somehow imparted to you a new strength so that now you can face smaller enemies and just tackle them, no problem. And it's a fatal mistake. Here's the fatal mistake. To underestimate the enemy. To underestimate the strength of the enemy. It's only when we recognize that the enemy is too powerful for us to conquer that what do we do? We rely on the Lord. We seek the Lord's help. We go to him in our weakness. And apart from the grace of God, apart from the blood of Jesus, the truth is this. Think about this. The smallest temptation would be too much for you to handle. I couldn't handle it. Nothing without Jesus. You would have victory over no area, anything, this, that, whatever it is, without Jesus. And one of the mistakes we make is that we can taste the victory and we can go, oh yeah, Jesus has now imparted to me strength and I'm big enough for this battle. I can handle this one. You know, your victories yesterday will not give you power for battles today. Won't. It won't. Paul learned this. He said, the only time I'm strong is when I'm weak. That's the only time I'm strong. In fact, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. He he came to the point where he said, I've learned. In my flesh, there is no good thing. Nothing. No good thing. And... And when we have victory, 
we're, we're mistaken to believe this, that now we have some new strength. Well, I've got some new strength. I've risen to a new plateau in the Christian level. I'm on a level where if people would just come to my level, they'd have victory too. And we, and, and we think that there's like steps that we're climbing or a ladder or plateaus that we arrive at, but the truth is our victory is all, our victory always comes by the strength that's imparted to us by Jesus Christ. And self-confidence is one of the reasons for the defeat of AI. Here's another one. Here's another one I want you to see. Lack of prayer. They were prayerless going into this. They neglected the place of prayer. It wasn't until they were defeated that Joshua prayed and consulted the Lord. Check out verse six. Then, it says, then. It's a big then to me. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he had the elders of Israel and they put dust on their heads. He, sorry, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. Man, this sounds like old Israel speaking. Verse 8. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth and what will you do for your great name? It's like, Lord, what are you going to do for your great name? But here's the truth. God's people had neglected the place of prayer. Joshua had neglected the place of prayer. Joshua and the people failed to wait on God. After the defeat of Jericho, you know what they should have done? They should have gone back to Gilgal, actually. They should have gone back to the camp, and instead they made immediate plans to capture the next territory. Had Joshua just sought the presence of the Lord, he would have discerned there was sin in the camp. He would have discerned that there was an enemy within. Failure to pray always makes us insensitive to sin. After the victory of Jericho, Joshua and the army were ready immediately to go into the next battle. And, it, and it's hard, but you know, the right action is always this. It's always good to humble yourself and to pray after having victory. It's been said, and I like this quote, if you pray in a time of victory, you will never have to plead in a time of defeat. If you pray in a time of victory, you will never have to plead in the time of defeat. And it's a temptation after a time of victory to, to go, wow, I, I've proven myself and I've proven God. And you get the victory and then you neglect prayer. And when you think you're strong, you know, it's just simple to not go to that place of prayer because it's a place of, and a position and a posture of need. And when you don't go to the place of prayer, your sensitivity to discern sin is dulled. And the right response to victory over the flesh is always humility. Not pride. Even in victory, church, we should fall on our faces before Jesus and say, it was all you. It was all you. I, I actually wonder how many times you and I have been defeated because we didn't pray after tasting victory. We're like, okay, next one, Lord, let's take it down. It's like, slow down, man. Bring it back to Gilgal. You remind yourself, I'm your victory. Look at verse 10. 
The Lord said to Joshua, get up. I, I like that. I called, I called this message, get up from defeat. Because twice the Lord says, get up. He says, the Lord says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. And they have taken devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So here's the third reason. So we had, first was this self-confidence, second prayerlessness, and the third one is this, disobedience. They were disobedient to God's command. The Lord actually says they've stolen and they've lied. And it makes it, I, to me as I read that, it's like they didn't just take, okay? They, they stole and they lied about it and they put devoted things amongst their own belongings. The Lord's words certainly make the reality of the crime Real. Israel has sinned. Devoted things are taken. It's a theft against me, the Lord says. That's my stuff. That's my stuff. That, those things were to be devoted to me. And they took them and they lied about it and, and hid it. Actually, theft against the Lord. And it had been committed in such a way that it was planned so that it wouldn't be caught wouldn't be discovered. It wasn't like Achan suddenly, you know, was overcome by temptation in the moment. He actually deliberately and secretly did these things. It was stealth action. His deceitful heart thought that he would get away with it. It's interesting to think about sin like that, right? It's like, isn't it true that that's often the case? You're like, okay, I'll get away with it, but there's no getting away with it. There is no getting away with it. It's like even the joy of it's gone because he's got, as we're going to read, this beautiful robe and he's got silver and he's got gold, but what does he have to do? He has to hide it. It has to be all kept secret because there's shame and disobedience and sin involved in what's happened. And the more secret our wickedness, the more scheming that it takes to roll out the plan. Like this guy was scheming and plotting. The more evidence there is of the sinfulness of the flesh and the depravity of the human heart. And it's amazing how we can scheme and plan to act on sin so as to bring, you know, the least amount of danger and shame to ourselves. Like Achan did it all and then he hid it and it was so that he wouldn't get shamed. He wouldn't face any danger. It reminds you of so many stories in the Bible like David, right, with Bathsheba. How he had to like plot and scheme and go so far as to murder to cover up his shame and his disobedience and his rebellion. Or how about Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, the book of Acts? They, they, they plotted together a husband and wife. They made a private agreement to lie. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. But secret sins are not secret to the Lord. One man had stolen property and it belonged to the Lord. He had taken the spoils of victory that, had been, that was to be set apart to the Lord. It's interesting. Achan is going to call it spoils. That's what he's going to call it. The Lord called it devoted things. They're not spoils. It's mine. My things. They're devoted to me. And one man failed and what happened? The whole nation, the whole army was defeated. They, they were a nation, the people of God and the weakest among them and the strongest among them, God saw them as one and they were defeated. And I just, you know, as I studied this and thought on this, I can't think the church is any different. No different. One body, the, the, the New Testament tells us, made up of many parts. Each part 
needing the other and the, the eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you and, and, and vice versa. And the church is the instrument through which God desires to move forward his purposes and his plans on the earth. They're to be fulfilled. And the church is no different, I think, from what we see here. There can't be individual sin in the church and the whole body not be affected. That's why the New Testament says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. They'll be forgiven. You'll be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so we, we see this, just these these. these missteps of God's people, self-confidence, prayerlessness, and, the, and then the, the big one, disobedience, which was just blatant, blatant rebellion. And look at the fruit of it all. Look at verse 12. It says this, Therefore the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. The Lord says to Joshua as he's in prayer, look at man, here's what all this means. Here's what all this going down means. It means that you cannot stand before your enemies. It's interesting that the Lord says, those things were devoted to me and you took them. Now you're devoted to destruction. And he says, you won't be able to stand which is an interesting picture. I mean, we know this picture well from the Bible. That standing is just the place of victory in the Bible. It's like uh, Ephesians chapter six, stand. After having done all, to stand. You know, the Old Testament says you, you, you only need to be still and let the Lord fight for you. First uh, Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Standing is just the position of victory. That was all that was with Jericho, right? They were just on their feet, walking, and God brought victory. The Lord says, you will not stand. You will not be able to stand before your enemies. And I imagine Achan. This guy, Achan was shaken, <laughs> As he watched the army in full retreat, as he watched his nation run for their lives, and he knew all along that in his tent there was something hidden in his own house. It's interesting. Think about that. It actually calls it his house. It says that in a text. I'm like, I didn't have a house. Didn't have a house. He lived in a tent. But it speaks of the, his family unit the building that they lived in and his family and his possessions, something was hidden in his house. And it's true that that's often the place we go. With areas of disobedience, when we're sinning against the Lord, where do we hide it? We hide it in our house. It was David who said, I won't do those things in my house. I don't have the reference in, off the top of my head because it's just coming to my mind now, but imagine Achan as he saw 36 men on the battlefield dead, 36 soldiers who were not coming home to their wives, who were not coming home to their children or their families. 
And he was responsible and he knew it. And so we need to see what the cure is because this shows us the issues here of self-confidence, of prayerlessness, of disobedience, but the Lord is going to show a cure to Joshua. Let's check it out. Verse 13. Again, get up. Get up. Get up from defeat. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. So as the Lord tells him to get up, he says this, you need to consecrate yourselves. You need to take some time as individuals and as a nation of of self-reflection and self-examination and posture yourself in a position of humility and in a position of prayer before me. And you need to separate in your heart and in your mind yourself from the cares and concerns that that you might be giving themselves to, and you need to seek my face. You need to set some time apart to me, undistracted to me, be set apart. And he says this in verse 14, in the morning, therefore you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who, is, he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. This is crazy. This is crazy to me. This is like, this is serious business. And you know, I, I often think this about little things. I think, well, they're little the Lord says, no, it's outrageous. It's not little. It's outrageous. Those things, that's, it's me you've sinned against. And it's not little. It's outrageous. Look what he says, verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. Then he brought near the clan of the Zerites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. It's interesting um, just to see the pattern that he takes. What did he say? I saw these things. I coveted them, and I took them. Started with his eyes. Started with his eyes. You know, sin, sin always enters through the eye. The gate of the eye. It's interesting how the Lord speaks. How does the Lord speak? He speaks to your ear so that you can hear. Sin always enters through your eyes. I saw, 
I coveted, I took. I took. And I, and I think this about this guy. I'm like, this isn't like repentance. It's not like he's like, I'm sorry, I repent. Let me go get the stuff. Please forgive me. What I did was wrong. He doesn't do that. This is acknowledgement, but not repentance. To me, this is like Judas. It reminds me of Judas. We know this about Judas. Judas was sorry for what he did, but he never repented. He went on and he hung himself. Judas said, I sinned against innocent blood. Well, then make it right. Achan had stolen from God and he lied about it. And what's the cure? Confession is the cure for sin. What had been done was sin. Sin is a word that means to miss the mark, to fall short. To, to fall short of God's glory, to not hit the target that God has set. And God wants his people to be holy people, set apart them. God wants us to be obedient people. But these people had missed the mark and fallen short of God's standard. And Achan, what did he do? Well, he planned. He fell short and he planned so that his sin would not be discovered. He covered up. It's interesting. The Bible tells us what to do what with sin. To confess it, to bring it into the light. He covered it up. The Bible tells us if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, he'll forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. Now let's read on to the end of chapter, verse 22. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and they brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring this trouble upon us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Isn't this brutal? I mean, this is brutal. For his sin Though Achan and his whole family were destroyed, it's an incredible punishment. It's incredible. To me, it, like, it just warns of the severity of the things that I would say are small, and the Lord would say, no, it's outrageous. And, you know, when you read this, you know, one of the patterns we see in, in the Bible is this, is that the beginning of new periods of God's dealing with his people, God sometimes reveals his wrath in very dramatic ways. Like, remember when Aaron first set up the sanctuary in the wilderness, and for the first time, that was all set up, and they had the tabernacle there, and the Ark of the Covenant was in there, and they worshiped, and it was wonderful, and then what happened? The two sons of Aaron, Nahab and Abihu, offered before the Lord unauthorized fire, and God killed them. It was a warning from God. Don't treat, don't treat my sanctuary and my presence with, with contempt and carelessly. Or what about when David planned to bring the ark to Jerusalem? And, and as the 
cattle stumbled that were carrying the ark. Uzzah reached out his hand, or the, the ark was on a cart. They were pulling it, and they stumbled. Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark of the covenant, and the Lord struck him dead. And it was like another warning from the Lord. Don't, don't treat things that I count as sacred carelessly. Or how about at the beginning of the church, the book of Acts? Again, Ananias and Sapphira, who I mentioned earlier, they, they lied before God and before his people, and they died for it. Brutal. These examples remind us God needs to be feared. God needs to be treated as holy, that, that, that if we're going to serve him and live for him, we need to do so cautiously, that we should live circumspect, that it's not, you know, you know who we should fear? The Lord. All the fear that's in this world right now, fear that has gripped our world, it's directed in the wrong way. Our fear should be of God. And so these examples remind us, be cautious in your life before God. Live circumspect. Continue to battle the wicked flesh in your life. In your weakness, come to the Lord. And the severity of Achan's punishment to me is brutal, but it's helpful to consider his crime in relation to God's plan and God's purposes. He was bringing his children into the, the land of promise. And if conquering the land involved this, God was using his people to bring judgment on the inhabitants of Canaan. Then he couldn't have his own people living like the people in Canaan. They couldn't have license to do what they wanted. And, and so the Lord said, let's make sure that we get this right. As you move forward in this life of victory and, it, and the text ends and tells us that they, they piled up stones in a heap over Achan. It's interesting to just think about that because we've seen this, that, that in Joshua there are these stone monuments, the one that's in the middle of the river reminding us of Jesus' cross, the stone monument at Gilgal reminding us of the victory of the resurrection. And now here we hear this is not a monument, but a heap of stones. There to this day, the author says, reminding them the valley of trouble. The valley of trouble comes as we treat light, lightly the things of God. And, and so let me, let me give you just a few application points this morning, okay? Number one is this application. After a victory, go to Gilgal. After victory, make your way back to the empty tomb. Remind yourself, my victory is through Jesus. Any taste of victory that I have, it's because Jesus is victorious over sin, death, the devil, and the grave. It's all him. Don't, don't rush off to the next battle. Go back to Gilgal. Second thing I want to remind you is this, the, the dangers of self-confidence, prayerlessness, and disobedience. Don't, don't forget that those, those are signs. Those are signs that you're dealing with the enemy within. Self-confidence, prayerlessness, and disobedience. These are the actions of the flesh. And so the instruction of this text is, is this. Consecrate yourself. Uncover it. Confess it. Look at, I would just say this. Get up from defeat. Get up. Get up. I, I love that instruction because I really believe that that's the difference between someone who is righteous and someone who is unrighteous. Solomon said, though 
A righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Get up, uncover it, and confess it. Get up from that defeat. And so I think about this text, and I just think this is a great uh, warning here from us. In chapter 6, we see the secrets of success. Here in chapter 7, we see the dangers of the enemy within and how that works. And so um, this morning, what I wanted to do is this, you guys. Uh, I'm glad you're here. And uh, last week, we had some folks here because we wanted to do just a practice run to see how it went. And um, we actually closed with a time of corporate prayer where we just prayed out in the room. We just took five minutes to uh, seek the Lord. And, and I just think coming back together that this is important. I think that it being Pentecost Sunday, this is important. For us to say, Lord, um, we need your spirit to move. And for that to happen, we need to be people who walk in a spirit of repentance, who uncover stuff in our lives before you, who, who pray for revival, who pray for your spirit, your spirit to move. And I think more than ever, church, we need to do that. And so I want to just lead us in a time of prayer. But just before I do, I want to address those who are watching online, okay? And, and so if you're watching online or here w- with me this morning uh, in the building, and, and you read this story and you see the harshness of what happened with Achan, you need to know that this is a very real picture of who God is. It's amazing that the text actually tells us that Achan and his family burned. They were burned. And the Bible declares, actually teaches to us that there is the reality of an eternal separation from God in a place called hell. It's a place of torment that the scripture pictures. It's very brutal. Uh, you read this about Achan and it's very brutal. And, and, I, and I read this and I just think, hey, it's not necessary. It's actually not necessary that there's, that there's provision for victory. But the victory comes through Jesus Christ. And the Bible warns, warns us about sin, that sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of the glory of God. And the proper response to sin when we hear about Jesus is this. We have to turn from sin and turn in faith to Jesus Christ. We turn from sin, that's repentance. And then we turn in faith towards Jesus. We, we turn from serving sin and we turn to a life of serving Jesus. And so this morning, you you need to see the reality of what happened to Achan, and you need to know that there is possibility for salvation in the midst of sin, that that's why Jesus came, to save us from sin. He actually bore our sin in his body on the tree. That's what the Bible tells us. He died in our place. Like Achan died, but Jesus actually died for you. He died in your place. And your salvation is putting your faith in Jesus. And you have to confess sin and repent of it and turn in faith to Jesus. Surrender to him as the Lord of your life. And so this morning as we wrap up the live stream, um, I just want to invite you to do that. Maybe you're watching and you would like to uncover the sin. Maybe it's in your household. You want to uncover it and repent of it and ask God to forgive you. You need to know that in Jesus, there is forgiveness of sin and there is the hope of, of life, eternal life and abundant life. And it happens really simply. The, the Bible says that, that you believe in what Jesus did for you and then you confess that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And often we start that way with a prayer of repentance. And so I just want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. So I'm going to invite everybody that's here, if you guys would stand with me. And we'll just pray for those that are online. 
And maybe if you're here and you want to invite Jesus into your heart and life, this is an option for you too. And so would you pray with me if you're watching online? Lord Jesus, I repent of sin. The thing that I said was small, you said was outrageous. Please forgive me. I'm sorry for sinning against you. I turn from that sin and I turn my life to you. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sin. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And because you were victorious over sin, I can have life in your name. And so, Jesus, forgive me of sin. And I invite you to come and be the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart God raised you from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Man, if you, uh, if you prayed that with us this morning, I'd encourage you to get a hold of our church. Uh, there's going to be information on the live stream that you can watch. And we'd love to get in contact with you to encourage you and to strengthen you in your new relationship with Jesus. And so I want to thank you for uh, joining us this morning. It was great to have you with us. And uh, we're going to let you go. And then those of us are here, we're going to just take a few minutes to spend some time in prayer corporately together. And uh, if you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning, you can do that by going to our website and booking a seat, okay? So thanks for joining our live stream.